space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, a new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome back to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim, and with me is, of course, Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And joining us this time are Dr. Squee. Hello. And Ambassador Nicola. Hello. So we have... Sorry, uh, I, didn't go, I didn't personally do a dramatic pause. I thought you were doing this both at the same time. No, no, no. You, you deserve, <laughs> you know, separate... <laughs> separate billing, surely. I, I, I thought I came off as a bit um, Kirk there. Hello. <laughs> it's now funny you should mention that because I did a um, I did an episode for the Star Trek Wars um, people and um, we had William Shatner singing his version of Bohemian Rhapsody as the intro song and I used the uh, truncate silence effect in Audacity and unbeknownst to me it cut Shatner's song down because of his amount of pauses and it it made the but then luckily um, <laughs> nobody noticed that I'd done that they just assumed that that was the way Shatner was singing Bohemian Rhapsody so I got away with it <laughs> God if you increase Shatner's pauses even more geez, you'll, you'll be there all day with that song yeah because the Shatner Bohemian Rhapsody is already going to run you 20 minutes easy and then you throw him down gee you're there for the day well that's it and you know I think we're only allowed to play like 30 seconds or something before we get copyrighted and things mind I imagine that William Shatner would just be happy that someone's playing his music that he probably wouldn't sue us so that'd be okay allowed to play about 30 seconds did William Shatner get through three words maybe I think yeah I think he said is this the real and then that was our 30 seconds done but um, I was going to say he probably sues people for not playing it in full <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> So the reason we've got you guys back on and everything is we've finally, finally come to what's generally regarded as, if not the greatest episode of Star Trek, then certainly it tends to come in people's top tens. And we're looking at, of course, the city on the edge of forever, which fits in nicely because we're wrapping up our time travel um, season with this episode. Um, so just to give everyone a little yeah. bit of a behind-the-scenes look, we're actually recording this the two days before Lower Decks premieres, but you're not going to be hearing this until the Lower Decks finale, so we're doing a bit of our own time travel. I'm telling you, sir, that is so risky. In these times, A, the world could have ended by then, mm. B, I mean... Kingy, I'm sorry, but I take it week for week that you might not go for another extended nap. I mean, God <laughs> knows what could happen this time. Yeah, I mean, it was sort of around the start of Discovery that I checked out last time, so you never know. But at least if we've got this in the can, we've got it recorded, then we can project <laughs> into the future. But so, well... When they're... Wouldn't that be interesting, though, if, like, every other series of Discovery, that was your trigger to go into a coma? Um, <laughs> and not joke about it, now you're better. <laughs> yeah, it would It would be interesting. Yeah, episode six, that that was where I got to, and then, yeah. So, uh, that, that's good. Now you've put that in my head, I'll be very on high alert when episode six of Discovery drops. Yes, you'll have Chloe ready to dial. 
Just yeah, <laughs> just in if case. That, if that happens, how shit will I feel? <laughs> no. Well, we've yeah. we've got it here on record now, so you know. You have to have Gates Madden doing the old um, <laughs> yeah. voice thing. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Better get writing quick. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, good set on standby, just yeah. in case you need to yeah. bring you round again. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I mean, I think you know your second coma, I think's. It's it's the easy one once you've got the first one out of the way, sir. So no, that's having children. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, I'm not doing that either, sir. So. so, City on the Edge of Forever, then, as we said, is like regarded as one of the best, if not the very best, Star Trek episodes. But let's get everyone's thoughts on that before we actually dive into the episode. So, Elliot, well, where does it stand for you? It is. Um... I think if you ask one day to the next, you might change your opinion of what the best episode is. But it's always going to be up there in the top three. Are you talking just TOS or...? No, I think it, no, I think it stands up against all of them. It, it's a great story. It's got emotion all, all running through it. It's well written. It's, it's got a sensible premise for the time travel. It's just a really, really well-written uh, story, and it's well done and well executed. Awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. We're going to get into it in a lot <laughs> more depth. Which is why a lot but... of people always vote it as the best episode. Absolutely. Um, Squee, do you have similar thoughts? I do. I mean, what I find really interesting about it is you cannot get... It's much like Doctor Who fans' Trekkies. You cannot get us to agree on anything. Not even calling us Trekkies, like some people's <laughs> Trekkers. You know, it's like, you can't even agree on that. And yet, so many people agree on this episode. And it's because, I think, well, you could have, earlier on, you could have uh, justified it by back then. There was only really, like, you know, for a long time, there was only original series and next gen. So there was less Trek. So every nugget of Trek, you had to consider great. Like, even the earlier series of next gen, which, let's face it, objectively, aren't that great. People would uh, lionize a bit better than they were. Now there's more Trek. This one still remains top of the, you know, uh, the leaderboards, as it were. People still tend to agree on this one. I think it's got that kind of timeless quality to it that uh, where you obviously didn't have the option of CGI back then, it's all models, but the model that they used still looks pretty cool. That kind of like donut, which is the... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It kind of like, it's it's twinkly lights, basically. It's a bit so of it on the up. front. But, but there's so many of those which you now look at where they look cheap because of the materials they've used. It's kind of shiny glass kind of looks cool still. You know, it's it's like, it doesn't take much for it, you know, um, it doesn't take much for something from that era to look dated, but there's nothing about that which particularly dates it. The era they've gone to is very easy to kind of, uh, well, obviously it was the era of the time, but it's uh, it, it, the way they've done it just, oh, you know, it's, it's not that far out of the time yeah. they're doing and, and so it kind of like stands up as looking right for the time. It, it's just a wonderful, really well put together, wonderful guest cast, of course. It, it's, yeah, still a classic to this day for a good reason. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, other than obviously that sums it up, I absolutely love this episode. It is, it is a real good favourite. Um, I absolutely love the actual leading up as well. How what the storyline that leads up to him going through like the giant donut. Yeah. Um, that I find really interesting. How, 
how you'd pick that as a story, you know, as a storyline. Um, do you know, I feel like I'm giving away spoilers, but I know I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it. Sometimes you'll be, you know, because I say, so obviously that lead up where Bones... Jeez, they've only had 50 years, Nicola. Come on. <laughs> and he's going around like he's got some contagious disease and he runs into it screaming, everyone's going to kill me sort of thing. <laughs> that, I think, is a brilliant lead up to going to the giant donut. But obviously there'll be more of that in a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I noticed uh, with like that, as you say, that build-up bit. When I did, I rewatched it for this. It moves so quickly to get them yeah. to that point, but it's actually almost twenty minutes of the episode before they go back in time. But it is so quickly paced and everything. Though, um, interestingly, you talk about like bones and everything because. That famously, Helen Ellison wasn't happy with the way that his episode was um, ultimately kind of put together and how it came to screen and everything. And that's one of the big things that was different was in his the story. Intro. Yeah, it, it wasn't Bones, was it? It was uh, like a random it, it, crewman. A random crew member. And yeah. it, the crew member had been a. Uh, dealings to other crew members and and getting himself on away missions to like first contacts to trade and rip off new new aliens that they'd found it yeah it was a <laughs> lot it, it was it was actually it was probably too dark for the time what harlan had written for them to film is what what's happened because like it was set at the end of, instead of this is set at the end of the first year his story is set at the end of the second year they've been out there and people are stressed and the time away is taking its toll on people. Yeah. Because where, like, um, there are so many of the John Series episodes which were kind of ahead of their time, I wonder if this had been made if we wouldn't blink at it. You know, now you're, you're right, it does seem very dark for, um, for TV of its time, but I reckon if they'd done it, because it is Star Trek and they were always always visionary, um, it probably just would have looked like a really insightful story about drugs. Yeah, and I think it was also it kind of rubbed up against Gene Roddenberry's um, wishes for Star Trek as well, that he, he didn't want uh, like Starfleet officers to be, be seen as that flawed, like that they would... Yeah, and corrupt and... Yeah, and... Not only the not only the sort of the the selling of the drugs and everything, but the very fact that a Starfleet officer would become addicted to drugs would, you know, he, he sort of might have perceived that as something that humankind will have moved beyond. Like, you know, we we don't have uh, addictive personalities in that sense, and that we're not gonna. Uh, become hooked on like an artificial thing and all of this business so for for various reasons that was abandoned and you know it was adapted into McCoy but yeah, it, had, it had several rewrites before I actually beat for the actual screenplay from the original story yeah I mean to be fair I think making it McCoy does benefit the story because you get the Kirk Spock and McCoy dynamic and, oh yeah, and I think that is a lot better than it just being sort of a random uh, crew member. But Although, I, I think there definitely should have been one scene that they missed out here, and it should have been done. Like McCoy should have been chastised for basically running with scissors. Like I know the ship was suddenly <laughs> hit 
But he had that hyperspace at a dodgy angle. It should have been pointed down towards the ball like we're all sorted. Yeah, I mean, hypersprays, should they have more kind of safety things on it? Like if you try and do anything with your phone now, it's like, are you sure? We need your thumbprint. (laughs) Yeah. We want you to do this. He had um, the thumb on his thumb on the scanner. That's that's the problem. I, he hadn't had that. I was going to say, if you're a doctor, something like that, and you do hear about accidents with needles and things, you know, but it's very much accident and little thing. That was a full on like stab yourself in the stomach scenario, I wasn't know, it? I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you'd think the the hypo spray would have like a, a cut off. A cut off, yeah, like because um, yeah. you set what dose you want to give somebody. Yeah, exactly. Like my, my wife's diabetic and she injects insulin, and that you you set it before you start injecting so that you don't have a big overdose. Though she did accidentally catch a vein with it the other day, and that, yeah, she had a bit of a, a turn after that. But. Oh. But that's like a, you know, an extremely unlikely thing. Whereas McCoy, like yeah. you say, just woo, and he's off and he's away. Also, Kingy, how many times in Starfleet Academy do they show you that training video? Never hyperspray carelessly, or you may end up tra- traveling in time and altering the future of Starfleet. <laughs> how many times do they show that video? Well, you'd like to believe that it'll become a fable at the academy after this. Like, well. You've heard about whenever they get a medical student messing about, and it's like, well, let me tell you about the doctor who went through the time travel. Yeah, Crusher learned that when she was at the academy as a cautionary tale. Exactly, which is why she never did it. She never overdosed. But she did fall in love with like a ghost candle, but you know. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, we've talked about McCoy and everything, but it. Yeah, basically, I mean, that's the opening of the episode. You get this thing like they've got ripples in space and it's it's because there's a, they call them time ripples and all of this. Yeah. Which is quite an interesting, quite a cool concept. Like, I don't know whether it's just because it's Harlan Ellison who contributed to it, but the, the sci-fi ideas in this do feel, I think, quite well fleshed out compared to some episodes of the original series. I mean, I'm not saying it's entirely exclusive to this one but some episodes things are just kind of thrown out there a bit willy-nilly whereas this one it feels like everything's been thought through i think to a yeah a much greater yeah. extent and yeah, i mean i think that's one of the cruxes of why this one is so timeless as well because it doesn't rely on like okay here's the science of how the, or pseudoscience of how this time travel works which always ends up aging it one way or the other this time it's just like there's a space thing. We will give you enough for it to feel like a real space thing, but it's a space sci-fi thing. That's all you need to know. There's a large donut on the planet that sends people back in time. Yeah. And, it, and they, they talk about an, ripples in time. It's an ancient alien culture that can do things we can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you exactly. know why you know it's an ancient uh, and, uh, uh, civilization? Because you've got pillars ruined all over the place. <laughs> ruined pillars. That's your, that's your go-to you Make need to know. Make it look like a vision yeah. sort of look, yeah, and that's what you get. Now, funnily enough, I was listening to another podcast, and all credit to them for this. I'm not claiming I discovered this. Uh, the Primitive Cultures podcast, which is part of Trek FM. They were talking about, and it's, it is a rumour... But allegedly, in the original script for this, it, it described the Guardian of Forever and it said, and it's surrounded by runes, as in, you know, runic writing. But there mm-hmm. was some sort of mistranslation by the time it got to the props department and that became ruins. And that's why... 
<laughs> so it's kind of a spinal tap Stonehenge thing going on. Um, <laughs> Isn't that wonderful, though? It's just a very quick, easy thing to look at. I mean, I take the mickey out of it, but you just look at Rome pillars, you know, it's a distressed old yeah. temple. Yeah. It's a really basic way of going in. It's wonderful. Yeah, it works. The idea about the the, um, the, the giant donuts, I really want to keep going on it. Yeah. I love the idea that it's a lucky dip if you jump in. Yeah. Obviously, before Spock organises it so they can jump at the same time, I just love the idea of lucky dip jumping. Which is kind of the same idea as the other uh, one where they jump into the lucky dip machine. <laughs> and they kind of... Yeah, like, yeah. Kind of, uh, a bit of a parallel. There. But I get the donut thing, just by the way. The, the way I got that from... There was an audio called Spock versus Q. Oh, yeah. They reference it in there, and Q calls it the giant donut. So that's just been in my yeah. head ever since. I mean, so if anyone's getting like, oh, don't call it donut, it's not a donut. It's Q. Q did it first. Q did it. I mean, that is effectively what it is. But, yeah, I mean, even its name, like the Guardian of Forever, is incredibly evocative. And you, you get the sense, like you say, about how how long it's been there and everything, that it, it feels like there is an entire backstory to this thing. Well, well, in Howland's uh, book, it, they have more conversation with the Guardian of Forever. Yeah, they do. And he says that he's been waiting there since before our sun was hot. And man walk the earth, and yeah, that's it. Like, it, it, like time moves slowly there, and he's been there for four times a hundred thousand centuries. <laughs> things. Yeah, it is. It's it, it's a really interesting concept, and I I think I would have liked it if they'd have revisited the Guardian of Forever in some. Ah, in, well, as it happens, I mean, the animated in, series, two thousand and seven, uh, fan. Exactor film of gods and men. All right. There, there are so many uh, fan like. Well, the two thousand, the two thousand and seven one was done by previous cast members yeah. to celebrate the fortieth anniversary because right. nothing else, nothing was being done. Yeah. So the part of the film and the and they revisited the Guardian of Forever. See, yeah, I'd love to see it crop up again at some point. I mean, maybe if you could find it in Discovery Season 3, that would be interesting. So it's been there another thousand years. And I know it's it, it's featured in um, one of the animated series episodes and it, it, it crops up in a lot of the books as well, particularly I mean, um, Imzadi by Peter David's got the Guardian of Forever used really... I think really interestingly in that, but I won't say how for in case anyone's not read that book because I would yeah, strongly recommend you do. Early twenty five years old. Yeah. What's that? Next sorry. Giving spoilers about the episode that we're watching. No, I'm <laughs> saying it's like spoilers. Come on, I'm so anxiety's barely twenty five years old. Well, exactly. You know, <laughs> but, close to the knuckle. But people should read it. It's uh, one of my favourite, if not my very favourite, Star Trek books. So I don't want to give it away. It's great but... audio of it as well. The what? The audio. Yeah, yeah, I really like the audio. Ah, I've not listened yeah. to it. I can't remember who reads it now. I think it's. I mean, no, I can't remember. I can't remember who reads it. Might be Frankie. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So right then, so yes, we'll we'll get back on to this. This is the problem because this episode's so big. There's so many tangents we can go down, but um, <laughs> we. Can I just give one further? Sorry, sorry, yeah. man. I will let you know. No, I just really want to quick because we're speaking of the iconography of it of this episode, which I think is why it's um, so timeless. And we spoke about McCoy. 
I think the reason, another reason why it stands up so well is because uh, DeForest Kelly is doing the kind of acting of the day, which was a bit larger, mm. a bit almost Shakespearean. Yeah, yeah. And because he's meant to be a bit crazy from what he's been injected, that plays really nicely into this. So where he's playing it so large, and he's meant to be kind of off his tits on space juice, whatever he's been injected with, then I think that really fits in with this. And I th- again, I think it's another reason why that doesn't age because like he yeah again that would that's how that's the only way really you play that in any because you generation. can get off your tip from space juice now yeah you could so it well, you age, absolutely right? could and yeah I also like when McCoy takes out the transporter guy he does this weird sort of martial art move where he sort of do the chop yeah he karate chops yes, him he, in he the chops hip his waist and then almost well he does yeah he goes waist then shoulder and that yeah. It's straight up Austin Powers judo chop. Well, it, exactly, yeah, but it obviously obviously works because he manages to to get away with it. But yeah, so McCoy ends up obviously down on the planet, and we do get all of this yep. stuff. The Guardian. Before McCoy. we get down onto the planet, I've actually got a, a really interesting fact here. Go on. Um, the titles. This is the penultimate episode where they used the original theme tune before they added uh, the. Coral voice to it. Oh, yeah, it will be, yeah. Before Kelly got added, wasn't it, next series? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, there's a different theme tune for each series. Yeah. So this is the... Yeah, it will be, won't it? Because it's the... it might be quite a long time till, till we do Operation Annihilate. That's true, it might well be, yeah. And th- this would have been a better season finale, I think, as well, but they didn't... They didn't really think in them terms back in them days. It was just kind of, what's the next script... That yeah. we're going to produce and bish bash well, we wouldn't have got turned about intruders the last episode. Ever, no, absolutely. If about it. <laughs> no, this is it. Um, yeah, Spock's brain for that, surely. Oh, <laughs> and we will get to Spock's brain one day as well. Um, oh, you bet. Like I, we're we're no longer friends if you don't include me on them. Oh no, you'll definitely. I mean, somebody's got to do it, haven't they? You know, I don't think we'll get many volunteers for Spock's brain. Um, oh. So we get McCoy goes through and everything. The guards are a bit slack, like they're just standing there and McCoy, you know, they're not restraining him well, or anything. They know that he's well, still... Well, we've actually got two sets of security guards here who make a real bad job. Like you've either got the security guards in the transporter room who rescue the transporter chief yeah. that don't report McCoy's got a phaser, or you've got the security guards on the planet that restrain him and don't search him and take a phaser off him. Well, <laughs> well this is it, but they don't really restrain him. Like, they restrain him once, and then they let him go and have a listen to Kirk having a chat with the Guardian, you know. And how how do they know have better security to stop someone running about the ship? They've got force fields we've seen in other episodes. Yeah. They've got ways of locking stuff down. Mm. They're going, yeah, let's let, let this play out. Let's see where, how far he can get. And it's not like he's being stealthy because he's running around going, killers, assassins. assassins. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'd be able to hear him. <laughs> Oh, they have been sportsmanly about it as well. It's like, no, no, no force fields. It catches him in a fair race. Yeah. Oh, sure. I love actually when he runs through the, the um, Guardian thing because he's running through going, kill us! And I just love that. Yeah, or maybe it's just, you know, Bones adds these kind of days. They're just sort of used to it. Like, oh, it's Tuesday again. Dr. McCoy's running around. But... <laughs> I don't know. Just one of his rants. Yeah, he'll be off his tits on space. Spock obviously won an argument with him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yes, he jumps through the Guardian and um, 
they they have this thing like you know this it's cheesy but it works where Kirk sort of says we are totally alone and then he looks up to the sky and you know obviously <laughs> the sky's empty the Enterprise isn't there and everything. but it is effective and it's it's eerie you know they're in this setting that's really weird but um Going back to Ellison's original script again, Elliot, you said you've just read the comic as well. Where, yeah. And if anyone's not seen that, they uh, they took Ellison's original script for this and made it into a graphic novel, which uh, you can pick up. Uh, Eagle Moss do it as part of their collection, but I think yeah, you can no, also really get it. As, yeah, you can, you can get it as a standalone as well. So at this point in the the original script, then they have like an extra bit where the 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 Enterprise is gone, but there's kind of a ship that's almost like the Mirror Universe. Um, it's sort of like run yeah, by the these pirates, and yeah, yeah, they beam up to it, and they find out that like I'm not sure how they beam up to it because it's not the Enterprise, so yeah, but they know they're there and they get beamed up, and it turns out. It's almost like run by a set of pirates. Yeah. And this bit, I mean, I can understand why this was cut because it's extraneous to the the plot, really. Um, So, you know, I don't think this is one of the issues. Uh, It's quite empowering to uh, Yeoman Rand, though, isn't it? Because he leaves leaves her with the security guards in the transporter room while him and Spock go back to the planet to go try and fix things. Yeah, true. And And he turns around to her and he goes... Yeoman, can you hold the hold the transport room? She goes, how long do you need me for? As long as it takes you. She goes, not a problem, sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, so obviously he must have written the script when Yeoman Rand was still a thing. Um, but they obviously she got sort of written out about halfway through season one. But Yeah. So it shows sort of how long this script was in development before they got round to it. But yeah, I mean, I, I can see why they they cut all of this bit out and everything. But yeah. it's an in, it's interesting that that was in there, and it I think part of that probably led into Mirror Mirror, um, just yeah. from the well, the it's style also of it. used later in the graphic novel mm. when uh, Kirk's sort of falling in love with Edith. Yeah, and Spock's talking out of it, out of it, and he and he t- goes to Spock, "Oh, you don't understand lo- what love's all about," and Spock tells him. No, Captain, I'm thinking about the lives we left back on the other ship that are waiting for us to save them. Yeah, there's a lot more. So, so he uses that as a sort of cast back to them on the ship to remind Kirk what they're fighting for. Yeah. I think, have you got, do you guys ever listen to the um, Fat Man Beyond podca- podcast with Kevin Smith and Mark Bernard? Not regularly. I have done now and again. But... On, on that show, they're really good at busting down, like Mark Bernard's really good at busting down films and why they work or why like things uh, are cut the way they do. And he spoke once about like uh, this cut scene. I think he was talking about uh, one of the Alien films and he talks about the scene which is cut, which he watched on the DVD and he goes, I'm so glad this scene exists, that this happens, that happens and the other. And like you're saying with the graphic novel, you get to see that played out. But he said, but I know why they cut it because you need for time to get it like this. Mm. I, I am just wonderfully glad it exists and it's brilliant and it's genius, but it should never have been put in the episode or in the film and they didn't. And it's kind of that thing, I think. It's, it's, it sounds like a wonderful, amazing film and like it does give, in a way, like as you say, Spock, a bit more kind of motivation. But at the same time, he didn't need it. Like when he's talking about it, it it's another great example of how it shows that the Vulcans, the way they're written here, is the best 
version of it. Of course, it's the original version, but it's not like he doesn't have emotions. He just suppressed them. He talks yeah. uh, to Kirk about love, but he doesn't have to feel it to talk about it. No, Whereas exactly. in the version, it's almost like they don't understand love. Which I yeah. Think. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right, you do... Spock is really, really good throughout this episode. He's, he has to kind of maintain a distance from Kirk. And you get the sense that he would be ready to intervene if it needs to be, but he also has to allow Kirk to make the decisions as regards, you know, what they're going to do about Edith Keeler and everything. It's, mm. I think what Spock does in this episode is really interesting. Um, so when they go back then, we get references like to the depression and everything. And as you say, you know, the set looks very good and everything. It's all, it's clearly one of these where we've got the standing set, so let's go for it. And fine, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with doing that. It, it's something that nowadays would probably be very expensive to do. Yeah. But back then it was probably very cheap because we'll just have this set lying about. Oh, absolutely. And it's great because it's, it's a huge big set as well. And with a lot of original series episodes, you don't get that depth because they're having to build these sets of alien planets or what have you. Yeah. And because that's expensive, the very small contained sets, whereas this is huge and you can see the, the you city can see right and down everything. the street and yeah, it's brilliant. all these different buildings. And, and, and then, it's got all those wonderful cliches you kind of want in a time travel caper. So they arrive there, they get caught by a cop, they see the clothes hang on yeah. the line just yeah. conveniently that they connect. You want all that. And there uh, was a brilliant yeah. brilliant line that we like, actually, when they've stolen the clothes. Um, they've just obviously been stopped by the constable. And um, he, he says, oh, how could your wife let you go out yes. and work like that? And, and, that's yeah, what, and the copper that's, falls for it. <laughs> no, we were just saying, like, what century are they meant to be from? They're yeah. still going, it's like, your wife let you leave like that? Oh, yeah, what a bitch for letting you leave the house yeah. dressing. <laughs> well, did she not do your clothes properly? This disgusting. Divorce her now. Obviously, the Vulcans are a little bit less involved than they thought. Being fair to Kirk, maybe he knows that it was a bit more of a chauvinistic time and he's I, playing into that. It was, wasn't it? It was Kirk says something about your wife and then Spock goes, oh, yes, it's quite ah, quite embarrassing. Oh, no, you're right, you're right. Yeah, sorry. So yeah, Spock that. takes the cue and runs with it. But um, yeah. while we're on this sequence then, shall we talk about them describing Spock as Chinese and how that sits <laughs> from 2020? I mean, again, playing devil's advocate... Spock, because of the makeup that they used on Lady Might, has a different skin tone to um, Western people. And maybe that's where they were going with it. It explains why his skin tone's different. I don't think they were. I think they were making a joke about the fact that he's got pointy eyebrows. and it, I think it was definitely about the eyes. So, But trying to play devil's advocate and go, no, 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 it was to do with the skin tone, allows me to almost overlook it a little bit more. But then Kirk takes it a step further and goes, well, clearly he caught his ears in a mechanical rice picker. And you're like, oh, come on. See, now, We're trying to help you. We can only do so much. Yeah. Oh, well, the bit I like about that more so is where Kirk's there going, oh, we can explain it all. Don't worry. It'll be fine. We can explain yeah. it all. And then when it comes, it's like, 
Um, oh, I don't know. You know, that's not happening <laughs> yeah. because you can't explain it properly at all. I mean, I mentioned earlier about like, and again, like there's a wonderfully uh, outdated, I say wonderfully, obviously in slightly inverted commas, uh, there's an episode or adventure called The Talons of Wang Chang. Oh, yes. And it's got uh, every Chinese stereotype. I mean, it's like really, you blush watching it. And the doctor makes a, a uh, racial oh. comment about, oh, it's what you'd expect from a Chinaman or something like that. And it's like, oh, no. Yeah, and it's the guy. To be fair, though, that spot getting away with a Chinaman, like what we did about two months ago when we did Times Arrow. <laughs> yes, Data is and a Frenchman. And you who's gold. And obviously gold people are French. <laughs> True. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things to it. One is, I think you're also meant to believe that the makeup, what we're seeing is makeup obviously is meant to his eyes are meant to look a certain way it's not makeup yes, you can see it yes. very clearly now especially with hd but i think you meant to suspend your teeth a little bit there um but just i mean it i think the thing is you can also justify it if it's one of the other characters saying it because they're of that past time but it's really difficult to justify when you've got kirk saying it, kirk doing it's like, it. yeah <laughs> If you go back to earlier in the episode, you're talking about makeup. Did anyone notice that when Sulu passed out, he had really heavy eyeshadow? Oh, God, yeah. I, I was watching it yeah. the other day and I thought, he looks so pretty when the, yeah. like, <laughs> the amount of makeup yeah. he's got on. <laughs> you know, George Takei is, you know, was a, a lovely looking young man, but he's never looked quite that glamorous as he does yeah. in that shot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's... It, it looked like I noticed when he was uh, passed out there, he looked a lot like a Vulcan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when we're talking about makeup, this would be about the time when uh, Gene Roddenberry was busy winding Leonard Nimoy up about his makeup. Because oh. she had to spend two hours a day in the makeup chair. Mm. And Gene Roddenberry, uh, joke, winding him up, said, um, We're sorting you out with a plastic surgeon for your ears to, <laughs> to send him see for season two and Lennon Nimoy was put allegedly like it's from one of his autobiographies Lennon Nimoy's he was all oh yeah that's actually a good idea <laughs> well you do hear of people sort of you know committing to it like we've recently rewatched all of 24 and um in season three, there's a storyline where Jack's gone undercover with the Mexican cartels and he's got this massive, great big tattoo on his forearm and apparently after a couple of days of having it applied, Kiefer Sutherland were just like, you know what, I'm going to go to a tattoo parlour at the weekend and get it done because <laughs> I just can't be bothered with this process every day. But I think Leonard Nimoy having his I ears think, done would have been a step further. Having your ears pointed. Though. Yes, I would say so. <laughs> I mean, maybe... Maybe Gene Roddenberry was just leaving mechanical rice pickers lying around in Leonard Nimoy's house and a bit of soap on the stairs. Fans that do have their ears done though, aren't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a few just recently were commenting about having surgical. And you get the trill yeah. spots kind of. Oh, yeah, people have them tattooed on and all sorts yeah. of stuff, yeah. Well, yeah, so let's get on to Edith Keeler then because obviously she's the. Not only is she the the fixed point in time that everything revolves around, but she's the the main character and everything really here. And I think she is very well portrayed in this episode. And I think this time watching it, what really struck me is how sort of independent they allow her to be, particularly by nineteen sixties TV standards. Well, even. 
and even more so by 1930s standards. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, she is a very independent character. She's got a lot of her own agency. She's very clear on what she stands for, what she wants. And it's really refreshing to see that yeah. in in a show from this time. I mean, Star Trek obviously was more progressive than a lot of shows, but I think even in even within the context of the original series, Edith Keeler is a a particularly well fleshed out and deep female character, you know. And this is a bit which really stands up with um, Kirk's reaction as well, because when you got the. Uh guy there who wants to kind of objectify her he steps in and goes no shut up yeah no exactly and it's kind of one of those moments where like when there's those other moments that don't stand up as well like the comment about oh your wife let you leave like that um it's nice to have those moments which really do which are really yeah absolutely and there's um there's a bit later on um we're sorry we're jumping about a little bit but i think everyone's familiar enough with this episode to give us a bit of leeway with i that. think it, i think it's a fairly safe bet that most followers yeah if the all out was the base has yeah. seen city on the edge of tomorrow i would say so now. Yeah. see on the edge so towards the end then where she's talking to Dr. McCoy and she says um, my young man's taking me to see a Clark Gable movie and obviously that's the the plot point is that he doesn't know who Clark Gable is and Kirk doesn't and that gives the game away but what I picked up on was she says that to McCoy but then when she's leaving the mission with Kirk she says oh if we hurry we can catch the Clark Gable movie so she has told McCoy that her boyfriend's taking her to see it, but he doesn't know that yet. So what's actually going on is she's decided, I want to see this Clark Cable movie, and when I meet up with Kirk tonight, I'm telling him he's taking me to see the Clark Gable movie. And I know it's only a little thing, but that speaks a lot to her independence that... She decides what they're going to do and she's going to make him go along with it. See, I've got three points to make, actually. The first is, I don't see a problem with that. No, I don't. (laughs) See, this is what happens when you let the woman folk talk. Exactly. (laughs) Three points. You know, know. I didn't decide everything. Where would we be? And second, Joan Collins, how fabulous. She always looks so glamorous. Mm, yeah. looks so- but the other point is, do you notice that when she he comes rambling in, like coffee, 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 he's still obviously under the influence. And then suddenly he's in that bed and, you know, she's she's healed him. Healed him marvellously, really, really yeah. Have a rest in the bed and you'll be fine. And he's like suddenly... All, she, all he needed was again. 20th century coffee. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. It's probably because they took all the coffee, the caffeine and the good stuff out of it by the yeah. 23rd century. But Barking the new at that point. <laughs> the other thing we noticed was when you are at the middle, after they'd had the night, that, that scene, at the end, they're just uh, there's a bit which they don't really um, contextualise, but I love it. it. I don't want any explanation, but they just got... Um, Spock and Kurt talking they finish and then this guy goes past obviously taking a shine to um, Edith there mm. walks through just adjusting his tie and his, oh, like, his a, big mangy beard oh yeah that guy <laughs> himself as he walks through most wonderful bit of character acting which has nothing leading to it nothing leading away to it it's just there <laughs> no absolutely and while we're on the subject of um, Joan Collins there was 
uh, a lot of years ago I saw an interview with her I forget which uh, program it was on but she told the story of the making of this episode and she said um, when she first met William Shatner it was while they were filming like you know they'd not met beforehand they were actually filming a scene and she thought oh you know he's a bit of alright a handsome young chap and all of this and then the next day she came in for makeup and this really pale bald guy sat next to her in the makeup chair and he, he said oh hello you know as if he knew her and she thought oh I wonder who that is and then gradually over a couple of hours as they applied makeup and wigs and things this this frail man turned into the actor that she'd done these scenes alongside oh my god <laughs> so going to makeup without a wig on well a- according to Joan Collins uh, who are we wow. to to question Joan Collins's take on it but that that was the story as she told it I'm not saying William Shatner wears or wore a wig or <laughs> anything to that degree but that is a story that Joan Collins told, and she's got better lawyers than we have, so... Yeah, I love it, I love so it. So it's all on Joan. Absolutely. But yeah, you know, going back to Edith Keeler, like, she is just such an interesting character, and you can see why Kirk falls in love with her. Like, you get so many of these episodes where it's the main cast meets a person, they fall madly in love by the end of the episode, and you just don't buy it, but... This one, you can. I mean, it's still... We're still dealing with a very short space of time for us to accept all of this. I mean, as I said, it's it's nearly 20 minutes before we go to the past. We've only got about half an hour in the past. And we've got to buy that these characters meet and fall in love and blah, blah, blah. I think, we all, I think we've also got to assume that time... Quite a bit of time actually passes. Yeah, I mean it's about a week. And stock are there. I think it, yeah. I think they're there at least a month waiting for McCoy like because you've got the, you've got the time that uh, Spock needs to build his uh, his device. Yeah, his device. Radio or whatever he's wanted his hobby. Yeah, his hobby. Yeah. yeah, which that's a funny line because it's like right, I'm just. I found you breaking into my basement. I'm offering you some work. And he's like, well, hang on, I need to be well paid, so I've got a hobby. It's like, yeah, that's right. wait a minute, you've not got a house, mate. Never mind a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I can't eat, but I want, want to build this radio transmitter equipment. I think it's very vital. But then on top of that, it's the locks to get the little instrument, you know, the tools yeah, to yeah, work tools, with. Yeah. And he still, like, goes, oh, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> It's because Kirk flashes of the smile, doesn't he? He's like, trust me, if my friend says we need it, we need it. Do you want to go see a Clyde Gable movie? <laughs> and it kind of, again, like, if you look at the kind of what it antecedes, like, if you look at Jake uh, Ford and Roy Chime, isn't it a similar relationship with um, Kirk falling in love with the woman of the time, Spock being the oddball who's acting yeah. very out of character, but Kirk twists their way into getting it past her? That was hilarious. I mean, and I doesn't ne- mirror it very nicely. <laughs> I never buy that Kirk's in love with, uh, what's her name, Gillian Taylor. Oh, in Star Trek Fall. But but yes, it's the same it's the same setup, like you said, it's the same thing. But yeah, there's a lot in this one that does inform Star Trek Fall, like the you know, the fact that you've got a policeman interrogating them and I know it's it's Chekhov in Star Trek Fall, but yeah, it's the same same dynamic and everything. And yeah, obviously we're we're sort of getting to the, the meat of the episode now, which is where Spock gets a fragment of what's going to happen. And at first, it's you've got this thing as I've seen two versions of it. 
and we don't know which one is true at the moment. And obviously that's leading to... Ultimately, it's she's either either her dying or her living causes the future to end. And now, in the graphic novel, they're told by The Guardian. Yes, that, um, true. The guy who's gone backwards has um, given life to that, that which must die so that they have a clue that she, ne- yeah. she needs to die. You see, that's... I, like the way this. I, I think it's really cool. And when they do discover it and they're looking at the ultimate history... Um, they have their cake and eat it too a bit, which works really nicely because they say uh, her vision of peace is right. Like this is the vision yeah. we need for the future. It's just a bit early. So it kind of does say that sometimes it does deal with that fact of the trickiness of like, is war ever justified? Is war ever necessary? And it kind of says, yes, but it's not what you want ultimately. And that was yeah. really oh, it's, yeah. it's really good. And it's, it makes the dilemma so much better because it's like... This woman is doing everything absolutely right. She, Her mm. ideas are progressive. They're the right things yeah. to be doing and saying. And in any other situation, it would be the right thing for her to live. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it does just pile on the, the tragedy of it all, doesn't it? I mean, maybe... Maybe it'd have been better off for Kirk if she hadn't looked like Joan Collins. Maybe if she'd have been <laughs> a very unattractive woman, maybe it wouldn't have been so keen. Or am I, am I making Kirk too shallow there? It obviously was nothing to do with... Uh... The writers already did that several times in that, in that show. Yeah. It... <laughs> and I, I do like as well, they kind of play with the fact that you never, if you think about it, you never definitively find out when she would have uh, died in the original history. Because if you think about it, well, the second that McCoy goes back, times change so that means something yeah. that McCoy does does it but then you've got Kirk on the stairs with her so by them going back have they changed it so that then it's Kirk yeah. and then mean, you've got the final moment when she dies they're all there so it can't have been the original time she was saved by McCoy mm. because do you know what I mean there's some yeah I mean changes. they do make references to like and we've talked about this in other episodes about time being fluid and a river and all of this and I mean, my, you're absolutely I think, right. I that, think the point with it is she's a fixed point in time that for time to carry on as normal, she has to die before America, before yes. she can form the beast movement. Yes, she does. Yeah. yeah. But as to the specifics of it, I mean, I've always imagined that in, in version one of the timeline where nobody's gone back in time, she just gets hit by a car on the road at probably at the same time as she does now, but she's probably just off to watch the Clark Gable film on her own and gets hit by a car. In version two, where it's just McCoy, it's exactly the same, but McCoy walks out of the mission, sees her and pushes her out of the way. And then version three is what we get. But interestingly, it does add a wrinkle to it in that there's no reason for her to cross back over the road unless Kirk, Spock and McCoy are there. Yeah, so, and also when yeah. she slips on the stairs, like that opens up a little bit of a can of worms that it just gives um, Spock the perfect moment to yeah. say, well, what if she was meant to have died there? What if you just change it just by doing You could have let her fall down the stairs. And but they've already interfered with her. And I yeah. Don't, I don't mean like... <laughs> well, <laughs> Kirk may well I mean, have they've done. They've already been involved in her life, so yeah. things have changed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's... Um, as an alternative ending, I'd actually questioned about... Maybe not Jim Kirk having a relationship with her, but McCoy having a relationship. Maybe she, he, you know, looks after him. He's the one that falls for her. And then yeah. he doesn't realise, obviously, in, that that 
what um, mm. Spock and Jim yeah. have seen about saving as a pet compared to saving one. And then as he goes to save her, they stop him and he doesn't realise why at the time. So yeah. I think that might be a nice alternative ending. I mean, there's <laughs> there's nothing to say that that didn't happen in the original... In, version in, of ver, in version, version two of the timeline where Kirk and Spock aren't there. And um, I, I, I don't know, because I've not read them, uh, but there's a trilogy of novels called Crucible, uh, which deals with the fallout of this episode, and one of the novels is from Kirk's perspective, one's from Spock's and one's from McCoy's. Oh, that sounds um, right. So they, they may well be, be interesting to, to sort of yeah. delve into that a little bit more. What are they called? Crucible, the trilogy's called. I forget what each of the the individual volumes are called, and I forget which order they're going. But um, they might be worth looking at. Um, also, it might be also worth adding that that that's another probably another good reason why this episode stands up. I don't know if the writers asked themselves all this, these questions when they wrote it. However. It, it's got so many layers which you can talk about so many years later like I thought about things watching it this time I never thought about it the original time obviously the first time I watched it I was a kid watching it on uh, mm. BBC Two's Death 2 uh, programming mm. that they did and they always used to, to show them on a Friday night before I went to the uh, school disco and, and so obviously oh. my thought processes were very different then but but isn't it just kind of wonderful? It's got all this kind of like meat on the bone to talk about. You can think about it so many different ways. You can enjoy it just as yeah, on yeah. TV. But there's so many, like like you say, there's at least three different versions of the timeline. Yeah, and well, I've just sort of glanced at my notes that I made here as well. And there is a, a bit where, where Kirk and Edith are going over to the cinema. Um, a car breaks, like you hear a car screech. And Kirk sort of pats it on the bonnet as he walks around it. And yeah. watching it back, you think, well, was that the car that was meant to hit her? Um, and it's only because she's walking with Kirk that something's yeah. different, you know. So it, there is all these these things in there. It does mess with <coughs> your mind a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, did you also as well when the, when um, walking Edith down the street? Did you know the song that was playing? Did you know? Oh, Good Night Sweetheart. Yes, which yeah, it's Good Night Sweetheart, which is then a time travel TV sitcom over here. Yeah, which, for any um, anybody who's not from England. At, <laughs> if you look at the setting as well, there's lots of alleyways which could lend itself to them thinking of that as the setting when they go down the alleyway to go to yeah, the Yeah, absolutely. I think the producers of Good Night Sweetheart have to, like the creators yes. have to. But did this have an American version of it? No, uh, no. no, so yeah, anybody who's not from the UK, you may not have come across Good Night Sweetheart, but it was uh, quite long running. It went on for a good oh, few series, a sitcom uh, where basically a guy could travel back to... Uh, the Second World War era by walking down an alleyway and he had an adulterous lifestyle going on but it was all in good fun and yeah, yeah. somehow there was an incredible charm to it even though this guy's cheating on his wife in two it's all in good fun that sitcom does not age very well at all when you think of any of the more values of it but like yeah. Yeah, the British Telecom repairman he goes down an alleyway one day and finds himself in wartime uh, London during the Blitz yeah. he goes in this pub falls in love with this woman he's already married in our time yeah he uh, marries the woman in the past. Has a he child. has a child yeah. by her. He has a child with both of them, though, doesn't he? Because in one series, yeah. they're both pregnant. No, 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 we only found out about the child in 
present, if you will, later ah, when okay. they do a reboot of it more recently. He we he doesn't have a child right. okay. in the run then. Um, but it's just it's most ridiculous. But you watch this. I've never noticed they're playing. No, I hadn't the, until this time man. either. So yeah, that's another one that's yeah, Both like you said the. Eight. That can't be coincidence. Um, another thing that I want to bring up about the Helen Ellison's original version is, and this is possibly the most significant change that they made that was mandated by Roddenberry, I believe, is that in the original version, Kirk can't bring himself to let her die. So what happens is Sp- uh, McCoy is going to save Edith and spot oh well not McCoy because it's this other unnamed character at the time but when this other character is going to save Edith it's Spock that has to intercept him and stop mm. him and Kirk just stands there like frozen and it was it, it was Gene Roddenberry who said no it, it makes the captain look too weak if you do that mm. and yeah. he insisted on the change and I'm not sure I I think I think it works both ways, but I, I would have found it more interesting, I think, if Kirk couldn't have done it. Because there's he doesn't actively try and stop Spock from preventing it, but he no. doesn't actively try and prevent it himself. And so I get that in the, the version that we got, Kirk is actually actively contributing to a death effectively by blocking McCoy. Whereas in the original version he doesn't, but he does have to passively let her die. And yeah. I, I don't think that would have shown him as weak. I, you know, I, no, I don't think it would have shown him as weak, but how perfect is the mirror of that line with um, McCoy <laughs> looking him in the eyes and going, do you realise what you've done? And all that Kirk realises is yes. what he's done. Yeah, yeah. And Spock, and Spock yeah. answers for him and he goes, it, it, yes, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Just looking in his eyes, yeah. like at that moment, those two guys looking at each other in his, and um, it's just, it's it's so perfect. I don't think there'd be anything wrong with that other ending. I don't think, especially today's sentiment, we do understand men can actually be frozen with fear as well. Men can have emotions so strong it, it paralyzes. Um, and that's all good and well, but I don't think we've been as impactful as how. No, yeah. No, well, I think. He used, he, in the uh, original story, he used it to show that even somebody really evil and all that can have a, a moment of goodness. Yeah, he was trying to save him. That, that guy that's come through was portrayed as being proper evil, proper nasty guy, and yet he has that moment where he tries to save Edith. Yeah. So, and that's reflected on that in humanity. The worst, the worst of humanity can show moments of unexpected kindness. Yeah, there's... yeah. And then don't they, from what I remember, it, the Guardian sucks him back in once they get back to the present. The Guardian sucks him back in and... No, he, he, he tries to jump in himself. That's he tries it. to get away again. And then and he... The Guardian says you can't, go, you can't go to the same place twice. And he, he puts him, himself in his own loop. Yeah, he puts him in the centre of a black hole for all eternity or something. Uh, around an exploding nova. Supernova. Yeah. So oh, wow. pretty dark. But, um, but it, it's, the, it's the portal that's done it, the guardian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that idea, it sounds like that's a wonderful, epic, kind of high-concept um, sci-fi kind of thing, but 
I don't think, like, I think th- this is the crux of it. This is why this one is timeless. This is why so many people like it is because you can read so much into this episode, but if you want to just enjoy it on another level, you can. I, I don't think you can with the version, the, the original version that we have. No, I mean, it's the reason we sort of read up on it is because, you know, uh, we appreciate that this episode is one of the most talked about episodes of Star Trek ever, and we just wanted to see, you know, what else what there di- was what to explore. What differences do you actually have between the original story? Yeah. And it's not often that you get the graphic novel no. when they do them. It's actually the original story instead of what you the screenplay. And, I mean, my personal take on it is that I think, I think Helen Ellison, perhaps rightly, is a bit miffed that, they changed bits of his story, which I can completely understand, but I think that's maybe clouding him to the fact that he still wrote one of the greatest episodes of Star Trek ever, and what came yeah. out of it was great. It's a bit a bit like Stephen King with the, the film version of The Shining. Like, you know, he famously hates it because of how much it changes the book. But because be fair, the, he can't see the, past that, he can't see what an amazing film it is, you know. Yeah. To be fair to this, though, the actual whole story is is very close on screenplays, still very close. Oh, yeah. It's, it's story. They've had to change things in it, and part of it's because of characters. Yeah. And probably parts of it is because of budget and time constraints. Like, if you did what was in the graphic novel... You'd probably need a two-parter. At least, yeah. And they didn't do two-parters. No, they... They did the Menandrib, and that was because they had production problems. Yeah, that was to reuse the cage. <laughs> that was by necessity. Well, it was to but... reuse the cage, but also it was to catch up with a backlog in production yeah, schedule. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's... I mean, as, you know, Squeeze said, it, there is a reason this is regarded as a classic, and regardless of what his feelings were and what they changed and whatnot, there is undoubtedly something that has endured about this episode, otherwise we wouldn't be sat here talking about it, you know, 54 yeah. years later, 55 years later, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, it it is a classic for a reason. Um, is that... Anything else then that people want to talk about about this one? I mean, I know we could talk all day about it, but um, we do have the the finale of Lower Decks to look at as well. So, any last thoughts anybody wants to share on City on the Edge of Forever, Nicola? No, just it was really good. I love it, and uh, I, I, I'd actually it now again. Sweet. <laughs> 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 Well, only the the fact that uh, again, it's uh, one thing about the story t- telling the time. If this was done now, they probably feel the need to do a bigger wrap up at the end. This is perfect. They go back in time. Everything's fine. Cool. We're out of here. Which just it, it is brilliant. Like it reminds me of one of my favorite films, Miss Smith Goes to Washington. Mm. Um, it just ends when it ends. When when there's the last bit of the action that happens, the the film ends. Yeah. And you just don't get that anymore. And I think it's a wonderful. No, you don't. You're right. I mean, the the only thing I would say to that is I agree with you completely that it's wonderful how it ends. One of the things that we missed, though, with the episodic style and everything is that there is no further reference to this again. And I think if this were done in a modern context, the next time Kirk meets someone... It, there would be some reference to Edith, like, you know, well, it, it still hurts or you know, something. I know we've mentioned it before, but in uh, 
Captain Kirk's autobiography, it does make mention to Edith and it does describe her as the love of his life. Yeah. And that he, he was traumatised over it for months afterwards. That it massively affected him. Yeah. And, However, and as, as you know, I've got to put everything through a prism of Doctor Who, or if I'm talking about Doctor Who, possibly the other way around with Star Trek. But uh, the, the, fear, the, the, thing, the reason why I really like this style of storytelling where they don't constantly back-reference, a bit back-reference can be nice, can be texture. Like you said, it would have been lovely to have another episode with the uh, Donut on the Edge Forever. But, um, but I like the fact that like, if you watch the first series or the first few series of the reboot of Doctor Who, they cannot keep on stop keep on going back to the well of Rose. And as wonderful mm. a character as that was, I think after a while they should have just let it move yeah. on. And it, it sort of kind of pooped on the series which had Martha in the second, uh, oh, the first yeah. series without Rose. She got sold so short. Yes, and she did. And if you don't keep moving things forward, that's what you fear doing. You feel fear alienating the new characters you're trying to bring in. Um, and Martha is not remembered as a great companion by a lot of people. Martha. I think she was great, but yeah. I think she got sold short by the show. Oh, she did, I absolutely. Like no, I, I take your point, absolutely. Yeah. I just, yeah, I, I just would have liked something. Not, you know, every episode Kurt goes back to his quarters and cries over a picture <laughs> of Edith, but just something... <laughs> But yeah. next, ta- next time he's getting off with the alien of the week. Yeah, that just, he, he remembers his uh, true great love. Just, oh yeah, or just, you know, there was one. There was one <laughs> someone special or something like that. Who knows? But yeah, yeah. Uh, Elliot, anything you want to add before we move on? Yeah, I think uh, one of the really important things to note from this episode is. It all happened, and they all know it happened. Yes, absolutely. Why you take note? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one happens, doesn't get wiped out. Yeah. Yeah. And I do love when you guys say that, that all of uh, Voyager probably happened in a fortnight. You know? <laughs> well, it did. It, my theory is that... It did. If you look at how many episodes didn't actually happen by the end of them, it's unbelievable. And my theory is that all the good episodes of Voyager never happened. It is close to that. Most episodes of Voyager that did happen are not worth bothering with. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, that wraps up City on the Edge. Well, it doesn't wrap up City on the Edge of Forever now, and I'm sure people will be talking about it for the next 50-odd years. But um, that's all we've really got time for now. Um, So thank you to Ambassador Nicola and Dr. Squee for coming in. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. uh, We're going to move on and talk about the finale of Lower Decks. So if you've not watched that yet, we're going to give you a red alert klaxon and we'll talk about it the other side of this. So if you're still listening then, we're going to presume that you've seen the finale of Lower Decks. We've still got Dr. Squee with us, but due to timey-wimey shenanigans, it's actually about nine weeks since we recorded the episode on the City on the Edge of Forever. And first of all, congratulations on Squeefest. Thank you very much, sir. And thank you uh, for returning with a retrack for that. That was just um, absolutely wonderful. Kind of felt like there, there were so many kind of wonderful things and things which uh, I was very proud of from the event, like the amount of money we raised and everyone who took yeah. part. But it just felt really special to bring one of the shows which we kicked off for the first Squeefest, like almost two years ago back to the fold and kind of to to do that again yeah and kind of see how much the shows 
yeah, come full circle and see how much you guys have uh, progressed the show and made it even better than uh, those early days. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, it was great fun. And also interest to, I mean, all of it was very, very interesting, but specifically to our listeners, your interview with Alexander Sadig was excellent. Yeah, I mean, uh, this week, uh, which day does this come off? Come out? This will drop Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on how fast I can get it edited. It's okay, Monday so, now. <laughs> so, yeah, so this week. So uh, this week we've got Level Up Leroy and me talking the history of comics on the podcast on the Dog Squee Show, uh, available on all good podcatchers now. And then next week it's going to be Alexander Sadig. So oh, we're excellent. talking like uh, it, this new series is going out on a Friday. I kind of gave myself a like three weeks off just to recover from Squeefest. So we're starting to bring out the new episodes and I have to put the first one up on a Friday. So I've decided this this kind of run of Squee, um, the Dog Squee Show and Squeefest episodes are going to go on a Friday. So uh, a week Friday, you will be able to enjoy Alexander Sigdig in audio or you can check out the video of the entire Squeefest uh, in three video chunks on uh, the Dog the Squee Show page. Excellent. So drop us a link on our Facebook group when the Alexander Siddig one goes live and we'll we'll spread the word there because it was, I watched it as it went out. It was an excellent interview. Loads of interesting stuff, not just about DS9, but um, really interesting career he's had. So And life. I mean, geez, yes, and like yeah. the fact that he grew up in the Middle East in uh, some very interesting political times. Yes. And his family were involved in the politics and like just at the start of his life, he had that and his like one of his uncles was the prime minister and the other one was uh, uh, Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, a like, little bit that, weird. That's his start in life. And then it just gets more interesting as it Yeah, goes. exactly. So no, absolutely well worth checking okay. that out. Uh, before we move on to the finale of Lower Decks, then we've had a bit of Star Trek news this week from largely from New York Comic Con. So, Elliot, do you want to give us a rundown of what we've learned since last uh, time? Well, we got a we got a nice new trailer for the start of uh, Discovery Season 3, yeah. the first episode. I won't do any spoilers on it because I'm looking forward to watching it myself. But I am imagining that trailer we saw is probably going to be the first two or three minutes of the... Of the episode. Yeah, I've avoided watching it for that very reason. So. Yeah, it looks it looked amazing. Yeah, I'm yeah. really looking forward to it. Um, we didn't hear anything announced at New York City, at the Comic Con, about season four, but you've seen some other interviews with Kurtzman, haven't you, James? Yeah, Alex Kurtzman's... I mean, he's talked about season four being in active development... And he was talking quite extensively about the logistics of filming during, uh, obviously, the, the ongoing pandemic. And it's sort of a good news, bad news situation. Like, the good news is that Star Trek, live-action Star Trek, is going to be continued to be produced, whatever happens. Uh, the bad news is that it might mean we're going to get less episodes per season. Uh, because he... In this interview, he gave an estimate that all the PPE and security precautions and everything like that amounts to somewhere between $300,000 and $500,000 per episode extra on top of what it would normally cost to film your episode. And making something like Star Trek Discovery is not cheap to begin with. And then obviously that's on top of it. So he, he hasn't said explicitly, but he's hinted that we might be looking at 10 episodes for Discovery rather than 13 
for season four, assuming, of course, things don't change drastically in the meantime. So, but well, it looks like we're going back into lockdown, doesn't it? So, uh, in the UK, yes, but in the US, um, I've heard uh, some fella on telly was saying that the cures come in and the vaccines are coming and it, it's going to be a matter of weeks and all this. So, you know, if you... this fellow on TV, Orange. I th- a, l- a little bit. I wasn't sure whether it was the contrast on my TV or... Um... Yeah, because I, I think how quickly, uh, you know, how the America responds to the virus might change. I mean, I, having said that, like, obviously, after the election, there is a period where uh, the person who's incumbent, even, no, no matter who wins, will be in power for, like, a little while longer. But I think once um, the election's done, if if there is a change of power in America, you might see a different direction in their response to the virus. So who knows how that who might knows? affect it? Because but... you know, Biden, like let's call a spade a spade. Mm-hmm. Trump has has said that he's kind of you know he's putting business first and he wants businesses open. And Biden has indicated that he would do more to kind of uh, have more measures in place. So I think if Biden wins, basically. Hopefully, an infection will get killed quicker, but like it will mean more interruptions in the short term. This, this so. is it, and you know, it's it's a case of we can only play anything by ear. So, um, the comments I've read from Alex Kurtzman are how it stands right now, <laughs> and we don't know what the longer term is. But the good news is, even though it's not officially officially been said. It has been said that season four of Discovery is underway. So. <laughs> We shall see. So, presumably, they don't all die at the end of season three. Um, Spoilers. But... <laughs> I said presumably. Um, but do you remember... the... Sorry, sorry to derail you a bit, but uh, do you remember in the documentary about um, Star Trek Next Generation, where they said at one stage, one of the producers was so um, pissed off with the cast that he was threatening that he was just going to kill off the entire crew and have, like... <laughs> Like a, a like the the beginning of the next series was going to start with uh, the new crew of the new Starship Enterprise trying to find out what happened to them. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, that that's kind of the Blake Seven approach, I suppose. But then that was the last episode. But so, what about the the other big news, which is well, it, massive news, wasn't it? And um, they've kept that. I don't think any leaks about it. No. Uh, we're going to get Janeway back. Yes. Which is pretty exciting stuff. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really excited about I it. I didn't see that one coming, um, but uh, in the presentation video they did, Kate Mulgrew was saying, you know, about two years ago, she first had a conversation about it. So, yeah. Yeah, they have kept that very much under wraps, and that's going to be in Star Trek Prodigy, which. We're not entirely clear on what it's going to be about. It sounds a little bit... The setup sounds very much like that DS9 episode, The Valiant, where yeah. they, they have the ship with cadets running it. I mean, I presume yeah, it's so, not going to be... Aimed at, like, when I first heard about this, I heard it aimed at young children. Yeah. But now they're sort of saying aimed at teenagers. Right. So I know it's a Nickelodeon show. And I, I mean, yes, I presume so... it... I presume it won't be as dark as Valiant was because it did not no, end very well like, for that crew. But like if it's going to be if it's a Nickelodeon show aimed at children and teenagers, it's going to be a you, isn't it? So you think so? 
Can I uh, just ask a question, though? Sure. There's one thing which I found interesting was uh, a lot of people are picking up that on the releases, certainly. I didn't see anything, you know, from the uh, launch or release about this information. But from the uh, articles I've seen, they refer to her as Captain Janeway. Yes. Now, my my kind of assumption with that was just it was just the language they used because most people would remember as Captain Janeway, even though we've seen her as Admiral Janeway in you know the, the yeah. further stuff after Voyager, uh, do you think it's going to be Captain Janeway? Because some people have said, "Oh, how does that work with the timeline?" Or has she been well, promoted? Or there's, there's been a there's a theory going round that um, it might not actually be her, but she could be something like an emergency command hologram. <laughs> oh, that'd be yeah. interesting. The emergency captain hologram. That would Janeway. be interesting. Ooh. Yeah. Yes, I could see. I mean, I'd pick a better captain to which model. Is why, which should explain why she's not Admiral Jane. That you know, would, yeah. That's an interesting one, because, yeah, I picked up on that as well, and I was thinking, well, there's maybe a, a, a tiny bit of time in between the Voyager finale and when we see her in Nemesis, where she's back in the Alpha Quadrant and she's a captain. But it's not yeah, very long. But, but, you know, she'd get that promotion straight away before she went back into That's, active duty. That would uh, have been yeah, what I, I would she, have thought. I, I got the impression that Jane was, was promoted pretty much as soon as she got so back. So I. And I yeah, also so got much. the impression that Voyager was her first command. So it presumably can't predate Voyager. So yeah. The interesting yeah. thing is, if they go with the command hologram kind of route that you were suggesting there, the good thing about that is you could let the younger crew still lead the adventure and still be very forefront and not be overshadowed by her. You just bring her in for the sort of almost like the moral of the story, but instead, you know, she can bring, give her, you know, advise well, the young captain. Well, you're going to have to assume that she's, without... not going to have, she's not going to have a mobile emitter like the Doctor did. He's still going to have that. Well, as I say, I think I think the important thing is it's like you don't want a character like Janeway, unless she is meant to be the central captain in it. Yeah. If you want those young uh, crew members to be the center of the story what they would do with a, a, a hologram version of Janeway is they would make sure that she just comes in where you want to for the story or for advice or anything else but you keep that new crew at the heart of it which I think is a very interesting and cool yeah, idea. Yeah I think that's the yeah, way it should like she wouldn't, she wouldn't be involved in any away missions would she? Because I mean I don't know if you, uh, I'm just thinking of this because I was listening to the podcast they're doing now but um, did you guys ever watch Scrubs? Yes. Yeah. When they when they did the final series of that, they brought in a new kind of uh, cast because yeah, basically yeah. they'd finished it off and then they decided to give it another go uh, at medical school in the hospital. Uh, but what they did is they got Zach Brath in half the series and it, it she, he was leading the show. But then he left halfway through and then they hand it over to the new lead. And it just sort of felt like because he was there for half the series he overshadowed the new cast yeah. and that kind of didn't do them a service. They in fact had quite a few hangovers from the series before, which they slowly phased out. Yeah. It was kind of like do something new. You want to do something new. You don't want the, the legacy cast, if you will, yeah. to overshadow them. It was like season eight of the X-Files where Mulder got abducted and it was widely known that David Duchovny had signed on for half the episodes so every week it was like, oh, is this going to be one where Mulder comes back or not? And you waited for him to to come back. And it was a bit of a disservice to Robert Patrick, really, you know, took over his co-lead. But yeah, yeah Doggett, I, Doggett and Reyes. Yeah, Doggett and Reyes. Oh, yeah, Reyes. I, I don't know what they did with her story in the new series. But anyway, that's a whole other podcast. Doggett and Reyes, the less heard of uh, song by Catatonia. <laughs> yeah, it's a B-side. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think Janeway should be in something of a mentor role and, um, you know, maybe more of an extended cameo each episode rather than the being the focus. First and let's be honest, if if it was going to be the Janeway show, it would have been called Star Trek Janeway. So I think, I don't think she's yeah, going to overshadow everyone. Yeah, in the episode everyone. she sort of mentioned being like a mentor to the kids. Yeah, I think she's and so... I, I think from what Kate Mulgrew said, that that's how she sees it. Um, yeah, so but, be... but she'd probably fit in with a being a hologram in that case. Yeah, I'm liking that theory. We'll see how it yeah. pans out. But let's get on to then from one animated series to another. Let's go, let's go to the finale of Lower Decks. Um, yeah. Squee, we'll start with you because you came on for the first episode of this and yeah. we were sort of all more or less of the same mind that we enjoyed it for what it was. We thought there were areas that could be improved. How have your feelings developed over the course of the season? Well, I think they've just proved episode after episode, anything you think they can't do, they can do. Like, you know, I was all, all for this kind of like little side pocket of Star Trek universe, uh, as I suggested when we watched the first episode, that kind of, you know, just it could do things in its own space. It could go parallel to stories which happened in uh, quote unquote real Trek or, you know, like uh, canon Trek, whatever you like to call it. Uh, and then they've just shown that they are kind of completely trekked. Like, you know, they completely can do anything. They had a wonderful cameo from Q a few episodes back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that was a, a sensible character to have as your first <laughs> guest character because he is sort of a bit larger life and a bit cartoonish. So, you know, to make him work in that universe worked really well. And then they did that movie parody episode, yeah. which was just genius. Like, was... all the nods. I mean, they'd always done these nods throughout the series to this series and they had so many references to to star trek we know and love and then to do a whole episode where it's specifically a pastiche on the movies uh, was just so good like that was really one of my standout episodes of the series uh, and then in this last one to bring um well spoiler alerts extra extra spoiler alerts um but to bring Riker and troy into it in the way they did and again i think Riker's a very canny choice because where Riker has got this roguish side he plays into that kind of more kind of like um, exaggerated reality that they've got going on. Yeah. But everything they did in this episode, like just a few things left that you think they couldn't do, they've done. Like they've shown they will do character progression. They've mm. shown that... Um, they so, you know, in cartoons, it's basically a usual law that by the end of the episodes, the, the characters will be in the same position than at the beginning of the episode. You know, one episode doesn't can be watched out of order. And now they've kind of made it so that might not be the case. You know, I, I think that's really cool. Like, even with Rick and Morty, which is very kind of um, very different for a cartoon, they usually, at the end of the episode, the characters are the same as, as at the beginning. They have, like, these mini arcs and stuff. But by and large, you could watch it in any order. I think they are really going to go for, like, our characters going to change and going to evolve as the series goes on. And that's just um, amazing to have done, uh, especially in your first series and especially for the first ever Trek cartoon. It, it's just brilliant. Uh, not the first ever Trek cartoon, the second. Oh, sorry, 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 you're right. Um, the second ever. We but actually... The, the first for a new show, shall we say. Like, the other, yeah. the original series one was a continuation of that. This is its yeah. own entity. Yeah. Entity. And the talking of the animated series, we get a direct callback to it very near the start of this episode when they revisit the planet and it's uh, Beta 3 and it was all that uh, from Return of the Archons. 
and they look at a picture of the previous mission and it's a picture from the animated yeah, series. They've done them into animated form, yes. which I thought yeah. was a very nice touch. I did, yeah. I thought that was excellent. And this is what, like, the last couple of weeks, so we've talked a lot about how the show's getting a lot more meta in its humour. And, you know, it was always acknowledging Star Trek and, you know, calling out references to characters and things like that. But I think since we did that episode where it was from the different points of view... I think they've leaned into this meta side of it much more, which, as you say, you know, we was sort of in full force in the movies episode. But I love that they can do little throwaway things like this. Sorry, just to jump in one more time on the uh, movie one, and then I'll let you kind of progress on to this one. Right. But like, it was just the fact that like I, I I'm a kind of um, a trained counselor, and in the episode, kind of like I know they took the mickey as they should do out of counseling and out of everything in in uh, low decks but that episode the way kind of like it became a psychological thing like she was actually working out some serious yeah issues. yeah i genuinely think if you've got some issues um similar to, to that that uh, the character had you can enjoy this as like you know this could actually help you through something even though it's in such an exaggerated reality and such a fun way it's kind of like giving you the a lot of sugar with your medicine. Yeah. So that, it's... You know, if, you're, if you're dealing with issues with your parents, I think that could genuinely help you. Yeah. That's it's, an amazing thing. It's an interesting concept as well, having real Mariner fight, holodeck version of Mariner, but holodeck version of Mariner is actually a more honest representation than the real Mariner is in there. That, or a rare version. That's, uh, yeah. And that's an interesting concept of being able to have this discourse with yourself. And it it is doing that classic sci-fi thing of using a sci-fi concept, in this case the holodeck, to tell a very human story. That one of self-realisation and, uh, as you say, counselling and everything. So, yeah, it's, it's much more dense and more cleverly written than it might appear at first glance this show there's a lot more depth to it than i think people might initially give it credit for as you say it does what trek's always done of uh giving these wonderful messages but they're sometimes a bit hidden you know where where they couldn't do race issues for instance like uh in original trek they had the guys with half yeah, white yeah, face yeah. half black face and they kind of snuck it up on you so you've got this wonderful sci-fi story but really they snuck an issue in on you this one just does it more with humor yeah absolutely and as we've talked about a lot like the humor's sort of found its level now i think it's not it doesn't feel like it's trained too hard like that first episode kind of did a little bit but they, yeah, they definitely like got into... We've discussed, haven't we, quite a few times about the first episode and what we think went wrong there. Yeah. And a lot of it's because we're recorded in cupboards at home and never seen <laughs> each other. <laughs> it's true. Um, so, yeah, let's look at this one then. So, as I say, they're, they're going back. We're calling back to the return of the Archons. you got to feel a little bit sorry for that uh, species on that planet that... Kirk's destroyed the computer and then left, but they've ended up going back to worshipping him. And yeah, but this uh, gives an over, sort of an overall view of things that are going on throughout this episode. Yeah, I and, look and looking at what could be coming up in season two. Yeah, where I mean, the Federation go in and they fix these problems, and then they maybe have someone like the Seratoses goes back about six months late for second contact. 
and that's pretty much it. Yeah, and then exactly. they'll have to get on with things and no, they need to be keeping on top and of it. A case in point being calm that you know that went yeah. a little bit wrong and it came back to bite them a little bit. So you know, well, that's the whole thing with this story because we go back yeah. to the, like the packlets. No, absolutely. It's it... uh, and it's, it's it's something sort of underlying throughout the episode is the Federation sort of see these issues, they, they solve them there and then, but then there's not the the full follow up that there should be. No, and also, a... I, I think they've kind of like uh, played a bit of a joke on us as the viewers because to begin with, they were doing making a big joke about they're a second contact ship. How ridiculous and funny is that? And then by the end of the series. They make a point with that that um, actually second point contact's really important and should have been done a lot sooner in Star Trek because yeah, yeah it's great that, that all these ships are going off and doing the hero work of having first contact but if you don't follow up shit can go south real quickly yeah. and I think this is just a wonderful way of showing that I love it when um, they sort of like the writing plays a bit of a joke on us in a lovely way you know it, it kind of makes a joke of something and then you know it proves later that actually there was a point in there yeah and it's if you want to sort of look at it in the broader context of the star trek timeline like are we seeing hints here of what we'll see you know 15 years in universe time later with picard where he gets frustrated with the federation and its lack of ability to help the romulans and we're seeing things here that you okay maybe starfleet maybe the federation despite having the best of intentions and everything maybe they do get it wrong now and again so it, it sort of contributes to the the macro narrative if you like whilst also serving its purpose within this one so it is doing some really interesting things then, obviously, you've got a more <coughs> sort of in-your-face joke from Ransom where he says, ah, the TOS era, which... Oh, I, <laughs> I just thought that was great to bring... Like, the term TOS for the Kirk years is now canon on screen. Yeah. I was expecting him to come out with, oh, well, you know, and the TNG era, you know, the new guys or something like that. <laughs> well, so, well, that could happen at some point. It now could now do, that yeah. sort of thing's established, but... Them old scientists. Yeah, that was pretty good. Spock and, Spock and Scotty, they're always meeting some new alien every week. I mean, let's face it, just how dense is this show with in-jokes? It's just so oh, good. Yeah. Like, And if you don't know them, it's done in such a way that it isn't uh, obtrusive. Obviously, the TOS one was pretty blatant, and most people would get that. Yeah. But um, there's so many of them which are snuck in, which... Like, obviously, all the three of us, we know this chapter and verse. We know every single kind of, like, uh, in-joke. But yeah. if you don't, that's fine. I think you can watch it and still enjoy it. It's just oh, so yeah. Totally I, mean, I mean, like, when we look back at the first episode, it was just throwing Star Trek references out. And, we were, and if you were, I don't think if you were a big Star Trek fan, you'd get it all. But now they've sort of settled into a style, how they're doing it. And, yeah. You don't need to know all the history to get the jokes and the humour. No, that's it. I mean, something like that reference to TOS, like, you do have to be within the Star Trek fandom to get that, to know that TOS is the abbreviation used for the original series. But if you're not, then you'll just hear it as, oh, those old scientists, and it still works in and of itself. It's not just a line that only works if you're you're on the inside sort of thing yeah. so yeah it's very, I mean, let's very face good. it with any of this star trek series i mean 
it's really impressive, quite frankly, that uh, these shows are like finding their feet within a couple of episodes. They've really found where they're going. Like I think Discovery did that. Obviously, that was purposely a longer arc where we yeah. kind of like they revealed they were playing a long game with us. Um, but it used to be like with Next Generation and with uh, DS9, like at least it took a series or two for them to really yeah. find where they were going with the idea. Yeah, I this, mean, it, Lower Decks has done it within a few episodes. They were really hitting the ground running. I think, though, that's also um, speaks a lot to what television is like now because if you did look back at shows around the same time, you know, not just your Star Trek shows, but. A lot of shows, it took one or two seasons to get going. Yeah. And you watched it and you expected the first season to be pretty naff of whatever the new show was. <laughs> Whereas now... It, yeah, I mean, something has to be good from the start. And, you know, shows have been cancelled after one episode now if it's not in the ground running. Yeah. So, Because I remember watching... Um, like, when we had that era of TV where it was things like... 24 and prison break and things and you were like wow this is a brilliant first season like what on earth is going on and now it's it's obviously the norm because you no, we expect that all the time yeah. and i think there's just so many good shows coming out now like and so many uh places which shows are coming from that if you don't capture uh well i mean i'll, I'll for me personally like if i'm not captured by something by the first episode, first two maximum, like I just, I very rarely give them the time. I have to really see something special in those first episodes yeah. because I know really other shows will give me it in that time. A really good example of that at the moment is, um, I don't know if you've seen it come on Amazon, Utopia. Oh. Years ago of Utopia. And this is a direct remake the Americans have done. Right. Oh, and I love the channel form. And I just can't get into this new version. Even like it's more stylish, it's, obviously got a bigger budget but it just and it's literally the same story but it just isn't as good yeah it's hard to explain how you can have the same story with a bigger budget looking crisper and, and all that <laughs> yet it just don't it don't feel as gritty i mean and i, I can't think... get into it i'm sort of two two and a half episodes in and i've given up i think the perfect example of that is if you watch the first episode of The Office, the British version, and the first episode of The Office, the American version, the script is probably 80% the same. But yeah. the British one is magnificent, and the American one's terrible. And Oh, the American, the, the first series, like yeah. where they were just, the first half of the first series, where they were just ripping off uh, UK yeah. ones, just they weren't any good. It no. was only when they started doing their own thing. Oh, when it started doing its own thing, it's one of my favourite shows. I love The Office, and, but uh, if you watch those first episodes side by side, it it's just bizarre um, how you can have nearly exactly the same script, you can have the performances are similar, and it just doesn't work. But... Um, I mean, the American Office is a good example of the first season was rubbish, but luckily the second season pulled it back and it carried on. But that doesn't Until happen. Until last few series, yeah, it were all right. <laughs> it, it came to up its own ass. I'm sorry, but like I know, like everyone loves it, and I do. But it just it, it became so smug with itself about it, the musical numbers and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, it did a bit. But you know, once Michael left, it lost something. But anyway, we'll 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 do an office podcast one day, and we'll <laughs> we'll hammer out all of that. Anyway, back to no small parts then. Uh, lower decks finale. Uh, so yeah, basically the thing is here, Mariner's secret comes out, and 
the first part of the episode is sort of how that impacts everyone. Well, this is before the credits, isn't it? Where it yeah, comes yeah. out. Yeah. Which I, I thought it's great because you've got Mariner doing what she what we've seen her do previously from the first episode. Was it the first episode? Yeah, where she's down on the planet. Yeah, yeah. And she's interfering and, and she's giving them Starfleet stuff. And Boimler comes along and she's expecting him to have a go. And he's, no, he joins in and get. It's, oh, great, you're copying. Yeah, and she's and, like, oh, it's because of my tutelage and all this. Because of my teaching. No. <laughs> yeah. No, it's because I found out your secret. And the rest of the crew, well, not the rest of the crew, the bridge crew at least finds out. So at least they didn't play this out. You know, we got it pretty quickly. We knew that this would have to come out this episode. Yeah, at least, yeah, it's like we knew it would come out. And and the and they let it come out straight yeah. away. We get straight of, into it. And will it, won't it? Part of the reason for that is that there's so much going on in this episode that you need to do. I mean, it moves at a breakneck pace. And it proved one of my um, guesses last week. We talked about how we watched the little teaser for it. And um, there was an exocomp in it. And I said, oh, I can't see the exocomp being a big character. It'll just be a throwaway thing in the teaser. And that's not the case. (laughs) It is quite a big character. Yeah, this again was like coming full circle with Tandy. Yeah. Because the exocomp comes on as a new new officer, and Tandy, to an extent, is, from her species, a new to the Federation or new to joining the Federation of Ryans. Yeah. So you've got the exocomp, and she's there, and she does what Boimler did for her, and she, she's there taking it on the little tour of the ship. and Yeah, it does kind of work as a, a bookend sort of thing for the season. And... That's a, a deep sort of pull from Star Trek lore is an exocomp because that it's not a great episode that they're in of TNGs. What's it called? The Quality of Life or something. Yeah, yeah. sort of like that. And it's sort of like the poor man's measure of a man, really. It's like, oh, we'll do the whole robotic rights thing again, but this time it's a little machine rather than Data who looks human. And Well... It's something that um, TNG used to do quite a lot, didn't they? And it's yeah. sort, of like, sort of like studying what is a sentient being. Yeah, but they'd already done it and done it better, I think, by the time we got to that one. Yeah, but like, I think it's that thing where there's only so many actual stories that, that you can tell and it's just you retell them in different yeah, ways. Yeah, true. I'm just... Sometimes it works brilliantly and then sometimes you get the exocomps. Yeah. But, I like the use of the exocomp in this episode. I like that it's got a little uniform painted on it. Yeah. So, and, and it's, um, oh, who's the lady who plays it? Sorry, she appears, pops up and everything. She used to be in Daily Show in America. All right, I don't know. Um, oh, she, I mean, if, if anyone's seen the new Bill and Ted movie, she yeah. plays Kelly, um, Rufus's daughter. All right, okay. Right. Um, oh, she, I know she, who you mean, yeah. Oh, she does loads of voice work. She's done loads of live action stuff. I can't think of her name right now, but she's absolutely amazing. And I, I know who you mean. And yes, yeah, she is. And yeah, she's voicing the Exocomp. I think there was a definite thing in this episode, though. You were saying about like how um, Tandy got to come full circle with her kind of journey of no, she's introducing someone. I love the fact this this whole episode just felt like everyone got their kind of like they've kind of very subtly woven that everyone's character is progressing, but you don't notice that they've really changed yeah. until. 
this episode where it kind of really punctuates it. So like where um oh, uh, oh god sorry I'm really bad with the names of these characters, but the uh the kiss up guy who um one of the main guys Boimler where he was um in this episode where he gave away the secret and he was showing what a kiss up he was and then by the end of the episode he's kind of like going off on his own journey a bit more. I just felt like it was all showing that uh, he really I think he's suddenly realizing he had outgrown being that kiss up in the same way. Yeah. And like, I think it's the same way with her. It's the same way with all of them, you know, that they, they've realized they've become more than they, you know, realized they were. Yeah. And you, you've got this thing as well of Boimler's like, oh, I really don't want Mariner to leave because you're my best friend and all yeah, of this like, stuff. Then... He's, uh, I apply for <laughs> jobs on other ships all the time. Yeah. And then ultimately. You would get this. And ultimately he does leave and she's the one who's pissed off about it. And I think <laughs> I think if you had asked her at the start of the, the episode or the season, you know, would you be pissed off if Boimler left? She'd have said, No, of course not, don't be stupid, you know. But obviously she is, so it's it's kind of flipping the relationship a little bit between them and it, it is kind of this realisation from Mariner that, oh, actually I've been thinking that he needs me, but really I need him as well. So it, it is really interesting stuff. And Mariner, where they've been talking about her taking on more responsibility, that's kind of been a theme in the show, like yeah. how she's avoiding it in case, you know, she, she's sabotaging so she can't fail, basically. Yeah. But uh, I love the idea in this episode, what we come to is that not only can she take on a bit more responsibility and she can be more, but also like the ways in which she... Um, subverts the rules could be really useful and it's all i think there's something in there about like we've all got these kind of talents and skills and even though to some they may not seem like their um their skills are useful it, it's kind of everyone's uh, in the right being. circumstances exactly they are. yeah your kind of like way of being can be very useful to some people in a certain way and i love that idea it just kind of is like it, it's the way star trek's always hopeful yeah. it's about no matter who you are, that can be useful. That can be good. Just you need to channel it correctly. That's and, it. And, and I just lovely. I think it's a mum realising that. Uh, they, they've sort of reached almost a truce that, like, okay, a mum has realised, yep, yeah, some of the insubordinate things you do are actually very, very useful. So I'm not going to push you too hard on the discipline if you don't push me too hard on the breaking of the rules kind of thing. So they seem to have found a little bit of equilibrium now and realised that they can work better together rather than against each other, which is should make for some interesting TV in the next season. Yeah, because yeah. I, think, I think we've all had that moment where we kind of like feel like who we are isn't enough or like we're maybe a bit of a screw up. And then to, to see this, because I love watching Star Trek when I was a kid and feeling kind of a bit more hopeful and feeling this, you know, it was okay. I was a bit outcast at school and I was kind of like uh, bullied, like because Star Trek was there and it taught me all this wonderful stuff and being who you are is okay. And I think this does this for any young person or anyone watching this now. I think it's lovely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a few like good lines and stuff I want to call out. I mean, we could do this all day if we were going to pick out every good line, but um, I like that Mariner is talking to this fella she went on a date with. And he thinks that Wolf 359's an inside job and changelings <laughs> aren't real and the Dominion War didn't happen. Now, now, I, now, James knows I like watching conspiracy theories. I find them funny and I find it interesting about what people think. 
But this makes sense because you've got section 31 in the background. <laughs> have been doing stuff. So the probably he's probably got a point. Not on what he thinks is conspiracy theories. Because no. I'm quite sure that War 359 did happen and the Dominion War happened and Odo is real. <laughs> but yeah. there but, probably is a lot of things that are I'm, conspiracies. I'm sure there is. But I, yeah. I just like... It feels a very, very pointed caricature towards a certain section of society at the moment, that That's character. <laughs> I think, I, I think Elliot's point, Elliot's point. I think that's the thing that uh, the things that people think are conspiracy theories usually aren't, and usually like there's um, a lot of easy stuff to disprove it. Like when they say the moon landing, obviously, like how many thousands of people would have to be in on it and never said a word? Uh, and in the same way, I it's think like that, the flat earthers. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, like, um, the, the real conspiracy theories in the real world is the same as here. Yeah, of course, you've got Section 31. Of course, there's going to be some shady shit in the background of, um, of the Federation. And I'm sure there is of our government. I never for one second thought they weren't. But any of the ones which are real, we probably will not hear anything about oh, for yeah. a long time and, if we ever do. And yeah. the, the other thing about it is a lot of conspiracy theories are incredibly fanciful. Whereas yeah. the real conspiracies are very mundane and boring and usually yeah. just about swindling like, people like, out of I, money. I, I, can see the being, I can see there being another uh, princess accident coming up soon. Is she a princess? <laughs> <laughs> but I can see another nasty road accident happening well, pretty soon how she's going. Let's hope oh, I, th- I think having gone to America might have saved her. Maybe so. Uh, I'm not sure, actually. Uh, a Netflix show and... Yeah, we we shall see, and uh, we we don't want this giving down as evidence or anything. If anything should happen in yeah. the future, so yeah, I would just okay. like to say I really yeah. like Meghan Markle. I'm like glad that she's out that crazy, and I hope it has saved her from any repercussions from the world. Yeah, I hope so too. And I think of all the royals, I think Prince Harry is the most palatable. Um, yeah, how much he's actually a royal is of course up for debate, but. Um, allegedly, a conspiracy theory. No, that's not like... a conspiracy theory. There is no question. Anyway, since, since he's rethought his Halloween costumes, I like him a lot yes, better. I'll say absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, so basically, we get to a really good sort of action-packed finale to the episode. Then, I love the fact that the bad guys turn out to be the packleds who yeah. were the most mundane, silly race ever in TNG. Yeah, yeah, stealing technology, but, like, what happens if you leave them out there stealing technology yeah. long enough? Exactly, they steal decent technology, and it all, it all goes a little bit crazy. I always thought the pack cards were the answer to something I've always thought, because whenever people say it's like, if we ever make contact with um, intelligent life, that'd be great, but, like... We could just have someone crashing their spaceship into the Earth who has no idea how it works. Like, a lot of us drive, I don't, but, like, a lot of us drive, but we wouldn't know how to put together a car. Yeah. You know, that, anyone uh, could be out on a spaceship. You what know, was like, that 80s movie where they did that with, um... Oh, oh you think you Space crazy? Invaders? No. Um, it had the guy who played Oz in Halfway to St. Pet. Jimmy Nail. Jimmy Nail yeah. did an alien film. Yeah, there, there oh, were just a, a family out on a like a road trip, like camping, 
But, like, there were obviously aliens in the space caravan. I mean, they crashed I, on Earth and they didn't have a clue how any of it worked. I don't know, but this sounds like it could be the greatest film ever made, so I'm going to yeah. have to find out about this Jimmy Nail <laughs> alien film. Um, I can't yeah. remember what it's called for the life of me, but I remember it, it's a comedy. And I, read, I remember reading the book when I was yeah, a it kid. Wants to be. I mean, it'd be early eighties. It came out the book, and the film was fairly soon after. I mean, I, I think we're just gonna have to put a pin in that because I could go down a major rabbit hole talking about this. <laughs> so, yeah, we're gonna have to check this out at some point. But um, yeah, let's let's put a pin in Alien Jimmy Nail, though it would explain a few things. Um, yeah, so the the pack leads have got these crazy ships now. And they turn out to be a guy. They think that the Ceratos is the Enterprise. They also think the Titan's the Enterprise when it turns and I'm up. And <laughs> fought the, um, what was it, the Soviet? Yeah. Presumably they thought the that was. Um, now, it's quite interesting this way, because, like, they've, they've crashed the first ship that investigated them. They've smashed it up, because it, it got clamped and they go to warp and it blows up. Yeah. But it's quite interesting the Ceratosus gets clamped and then... Um, Captain Freeman realises straight away how, what the other captain would have done, and he said, cut, stop the engines, cut them off. Yeah, that's really good. It's like you said, that shows like, her capability. That, like, which... She isn't just on a rubbish ship that she's maybe not a great captain. No, she's a great captain. She does know what she's doing. Yeah, She's it's... very good at a, a job. It's very apropos of uh, the series. I love the fact that um, even though the Cerritos does go in and save the day and everything, uh, they went there just to be smug and go, Haha, I can't wait to pull their ass oh, like yeah. a brand new ship, ship out of danger. So they went in for completely wrong reasons. Oh, yeah, and then they definitely. do a really, really good job. I and love that. I love the scene where we get, well, we need someone who can upload this virus and can breathe in space. And it's all building up to this great big cathartic moment where Peanut Hamper, the exocomp, bravely volunteers, but instead she says, no, 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 I joined Starfleet to piss my dad off, I'm off now, and she yeah. just Kirsten disappears. Shaw. That's her name. Who, sorry? Kirsten Shaw was um, there we go. Peanut. Yeah, and so I love that, that it's a subversion of the expectations and everything. And obviously we also get the return of Badgie, who I think we can... F- Fairly says a fan favourite at this stage. And Yeah, we um, like we like Badgie. I like Badgie a lot. And I think this probably will be the last time we see him because he he betrays Rutherford and Shax has to save the day and make the heroic sacrifice and everything. So in this uh, that mo- Jimmy Nail movie is Morons from Outer Space. Mo- that sounds oh. about right. I remember hearing about that. Yeah, I remember seeing in the video shop. I never saw it. Right, yeah, I funny, think... Funny movie from what I remember. We may have to do a special episode where we watch Morons from Outer Space. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it all culminates then. Badgie and the pack-led ship gets destroyed. Rutherford well, has his implant ripped off. Well, we have shacks, don't we? Um, yeah. Like, Rutherford goes, I can do this, and... Like, he's been having problems with his, what mode he's in from his yeah, yeah, implant. Yeah. And he gets to normal mode and he goes, I can do this. I can take it over. And yeah. Candy's there, no, there's something wrong with your implant. He goes, no, this is who I am. 
I can do this. Yeah, she's like, no, it's obviously stuck in silly, <laughs> heroic, brave mode or something. <laughs> well, which again is kind of so perfect for this show. It does a really kind of cool, serious moment, but uh, they've got this running gag, which they managed to call back to. So you get like the joke. It's the what I like to call the only fools and horses effect. You can do like a really silly joke one second and then something heartbreaking the next and then back to the joke. Oh, yeah. And this show does that in spades. Yeah, it does. And, you know, Shax's sacrifice is you know, a case in point. It, oh. it does actually have an impact to say it's like, this. But like, like this, though, with Shax, like they let Shax get killed. Yeah, uh, who saw that coming? No, but that's a throwback to TNG as well, isn't it? Where Tasha Yar got killed in the first season. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not thought of it that the, way. But the chief right. security officer. Except for he got a, a, a good death. Like, he didn't just get that's killed true. by an oil stick. Yeah, he got the... I, I think he would have been happy with the way he went out, well, given it, what well, we know of him. Happy, didn't he, at the end? When yeah. It saved Rutherford. It saved Baby Bear. Yeah. Which is a throwback to another earlier episode when Rutherford went through all the different... Yeah. yeah, yeah. when he went through all, tried out all the different jobs and everything. Yeah, different jobs, and he joined uh, security, and they were called the Bears. Yes, you're right. So, yeah, there's been a lot of subtle sort of arc building going on, really, in the background of this show. And, obviously, then we get the big cameo, or cameos, which is Riker and Troy turn up in the Titan, and we finally make the design of the Titan canonical. It's always been what's been on the front of the books and it's always been in Star Trek Online like this, but to finally actually get it in a show, I think for fans of Titan, you know, the spin-off books and everything, that well, was probably a very satisfying like, moment. I haven't, I haven't read the books, but like just from uh, Nemesis, because Riker and Troy went off, to, he went off to be the captain of the... Titan and Troy went with him because they just oh, been yeah. married. And it's nice to see it, to see Riker's ship. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. It's the, the design of it. They've kept it how it always has been in the expanded fiction. And I think that's a... They could ever so easily have just gone, we're going to design one of his own. But instead, they've honoured what's already yeah, been out there, yeah, which I got, love. This is what's out there. We're now making it canon. Yeah, yeah I, th I think the good thing about uh, Expanded Star Trek is it's never been so precious as something written in the book can't be changed for TV because you just can't handcuff um, no, exactly. like, uh, series makers to every single book when there's been just so many hundreds and thousands of them. Well, but, it, well, but they try Star and be respectful where they can, I think. Alpha, Alpha Cannon is what appears on screen. I've always felt with Star Trek uh, fiction, anything that's not on screen, basically... It's canon until it's not. If it comes yeah. out and it fits in, great, and it works for you, great. But it can be dropped. Yeah, once to do something on screen that counteracts that, yeah, that contradicts that's it. it. The book isn't canon. Absolutely, I do get how people feel about the Star Wars kind of expanded world and kind of like uh, the original canon. The books getting dropped because they did. You know, like all the writers had to ask permission for what they were doing, and it was all <laughs> carefully orchestrated to work that around the way that they were going. But, but at the same time, if you're going to write new films, you don't want the writers to have to read no, hundreds and hundreds of books. Like that's just unrealistic. Absolutely, yeah. and the, and the story they can tell. They made the right decision with Star Wars. Um, yeah. 
I think it was a different situation because with the Star Wars uh, expanded universe, to all intents and purposes, Star Wars was done. You know, it, it wasn't expected that there would be any more films, so they built this thing and expanded it, and then it's like, oh, wait, Star Wars isn't done anymore, uh, so what happens to all of that? And to an extent, we're getting a little bit of that with Star Trek now because they did the various relaunch books. They did the DS9 relaunch, the Voyager relaunch, uh, the TNG relaunch, and then they sort of, which all took place after their respective shows, movies had finished. And then they sort of combined them all together with things like the Destiny trilogy, and they have built this huge bit of fiction that has carried on from the 24th century. And for a long time, that was the only expansion of that that existed, except now, obviously, we've gone back to it. And so I think there is a little bit of a thing in Star Trek fandom at the minute that, you know, oh, we feel like our expanded universe has been thrown out. But the the critical difference is Star Trek has always been absolutely clear that if it's not on screen, it's not canon. It's not... Yeah, it's beta. Um, if, it's on, if it's in a book, it's beta canon. Yeah, you can, it can be changed. You can enjoy it. That's great, but don't get too attached. You know, yeah, and like, and like to be fair, even though the TV it's a long time up until when we got Discovery, there's a long gap between TV shows. We have still had movies in between. Yeah, yeah. So there has been Star new Star Trek coming out. Not a lot of it, but there has yeah, been. Yeah, Star Trek's been a living, breathing thing, whereas Star Wars appeared dead for over a decade. Lucas had told his story, you were done, and we yeah. thought that was it, but too many dollar signs lying around. And that's, that's, that's the thing. I, I don't think, though, you want it so that um, you get so ped- pedantic about like this ex- expand, expanded world that it stops any of these properties being what it was in the first place. So like Star Wars originally films, I think they should be allowed to do new films and not have to read all those books. I think oh, Star Trek like, has always been a bit more sensible. That it's like, well, you know, this TV show, we want to make some more TV show, and we don't want all these writers... Like, you're not, not going to get the top-notch writers if you expect them to read all this stuff. No, and, just not. and the other thing as well is because of the sheer amount of it, the hit rate of Star Trek books is not great. So you don't want to be shackled with, well, we've got to make this book that's about um, a, a rampaging Tribble or whatever. That's got to be canon. <laughs> um, you know, Having said that, uh, in one of Peter David's New Frontier books, there is a genetic cross between a gerbil and a Tribble called a Gribble that turns out to be a criminal mastermind, and that should be canon, so that was fantastic. But... I, I think the worst one for me was when... Um, I, I didn't actually mind some of the uh, books he did, but oh. there was one where he tried to make it so that Spock and him were brothers of the mind because Sarek did a mind melt with Kirk when he was a kid, and okay. it was so convoluted. Uh, I mean, the Shatnerverse, they even took the step at the time of going, yeah, this isn't even canon to the other books. You know, this is, <laughs> this is Bill, Bill's off on his own. He's on his own reservation. Don't the worry about it. The he wrote were okay, but then he was just became obsessed with, like, um, Picard and Kirk were buddies, and like, yeah. he just he, he overdid it. Too and much. we use the term he very loosely when discussing books that are written by William Shatner. Um, 
because there there are credited co-writers on them books that I don't know why, but I just get the feeling maybe they did a little bit of the heavy lifting. I don't know. Um, but if you're listening, Bill, sorry. And, we still um, love you. Yeah, you're welcome to come on the show and tell us about how you did write them all. Uh, I think we've pretty much covered the episode, haven't we? Then obviously Boimler gets his promotion at the end, and we finish with Riker and his own specific way of ordering the go to warp, which is very fitting for Riker. Yeah. <laughs> and Troy's not Give me impressed. A warp factory five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> and Troy's just like, oh, not the jazz. <laughs> oh, I also loved her, her being there to like take the Mickey out of him a bit. So like when he's going on about, they're talking about the contraband. Or the yeah, ship, yeah. We're talking about this later. I just love that. Yeah. Um, well, sure. that played back as well, though, didn't it? Into the first episode where we saw, and literally the first scene of the first episode with Mariner with a bo- huge uh, crate of contraband. Yeah, exactly. And now we know who and the it, supplier and, was. And it's hidden all over. And we find out that Riker's one of the suppliers. Um, this adds to my theory that Mariner worked on the Enterprise. She clearly knows Riker. I'm thinking she's made, been on the Enterprise E. Yeah, I think so. That that's my working theory until we're told otherwise. Yeah, I think I think I've been going on that that she's she's definitely been on on one of these. I think it's probably the Enterprise E that she's been on yeah, board. That's my feeling. Um, she, she obviously hasn't been on the Titan. I don't get the impression she's been on the Titan, and I think she's too young to have been on the Enterprise D. Yeah, but she would have had to. I think where this. This the timeline of this is. She could have been on the Enterprise Z at some point. Yeah, definitely. I like that theory, but it could also be really cool that she just met um, Riker at a poker game at Quarks or something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, Riker... There's there's a lot of interesting ways you could do that. Yeah, Riker gets about a bit in the galaxy, so I'm sure a lot of people know him, particularly the young ladies, you know. I'm sure a lot of them are aware of him, at least. Riker secretly her dad. (laughs) Oh, no. God, can you imagine? That'd be that'd be. Oh, that'd have repercussions. I don't yeah. think Deanna would be very happy, but <laughs> um, you never know. So yeah, yeah, great. I think he's. I think he's pretty faithful, actually. Right. Oh, I'm sure. Especially he from is. what we saw in Picard. Yes. Oh no, no, I'm talking about before. Yeah, pre. Oh no, well, before yeah. we know that he was was putting it about all over, wasn't it? Oh, he'd have yeah. liked to. He did. He wasn't always as lucky as he'd have liked to have been. I don't think. <laughs> don't think the Riker charm's quite as strong as Riker thinks it is. But uh, yeah, great episode, great end to the season, great season. Yeah, uh, Let, let's sum up then how we all feel about Lower Decks after one season. So, Squee, where 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 are your thoughts at the end now of season one? Uh, like with the first series of Discovery, I think it's one of the uh, best first se- series of um, any of the Star Trek shows that we've seen. Like, I think it's just so strong. The arcs that they've done on it. Uh, the fact that anything that in the first episode you might have been laughing at, you're now seri- seeing was actually, like, even though it's hilarious, it was building up to a, a good plot point. So I just love the fact that it can be this crazy, silly thing and still make uh, some really great, serious Star Trek-worthy points. Uh, so I just think it's going to get even better in the next series. Absolutely. Elliot, anything to yeah, add? I, I think it's been really strong first season. Uh, we've seen the characters grow and like we said in cartoons you don't normally see character development no isn't a standard thing but this has gone no we're gonna we're developing the characters and 
the show in, for just ten half hour episodes, the show is already referencing itself. Yeah, of what's happened, which is phenomenal to have built up enough of that, and it works. It doesn't feel the first couple of episodes. I felt I felt um, they felt like they were, they were almost rushed how they were saying the lines and they hadn't found the base. And I think a lot of that, as we've said, is to do with how they've had to record it due to COVID and lockdown. And it's made it awkward recording. But they've found, they found the pace, they've found the feet, and you don't get that lines falling over each other anymore. So it no. works a lot better. <laughs> I like the humour of it. it. It doesn't have me rolling on the floor in laughter, but I laugh at it. I think it has some good. It has some good in jokes. It has jokes that you don't have to be a Star Trek fan to get. Yeah, it's just been a good. It's it's been a really enjoyable ten weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm gonna miss this. I will miss it, but we've got Discovery to fill the gap starting next week. Uh, yeah, so starting this week. Starting this week, in fact, yeah, in a couple of days when this goes um, out. What date are we on now? Friday it's out. Friday it's out. So this Monday now it's out. Thursday in the states, Friday in America, uh, no, Friday, Friday in the UK. Rest, well, of the, UK rest of the world, rest on of the Netflix. world on Netflix. And, and frankly, I need it because like both Lower Decks and The Boys finished, and like yeah. I was watching them, I kind of ended up watching them back to back on the weekend, and it was just a lovely one-two punch. So you know, Discovery is going to fill that hole very yeah. nicely. And we'll be yeah. back to talk about that next week. Um, but if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, we're on Twitter at RetrekPod. You can email us, RetrekPod at gmail.com. Or just come and have a chat with us on the Facebook group. Search Retrek on Facebook. Thanks to Dr. Squee. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure, guys. And uh, what a wonderful time to be a Trekkie. <laughs> and it is. Thanks for Trekking with us this time. We'll see you next time on the Retrek. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.